This morning, one of the doctors featured in an now banned viral video about the coronavirus is speaking out. It is a game, isn't it, Mary Poppins? Well, it depends on your point of view. I was very impressed with her and other doctors that stood with her. Certainly you could put her up and let her have a voice. And snap! The job's a game. It's off the beaten path to say that demons are sleeping with you overnight. But demons are sleeping with people. Are they? Yes! A lock, a spree, it's very clear to see. Evil deposits came inside of you. There are people that you slept with people in the past and they fragmented themselves and put inside of you. You always end up being hooked up with witches and wizards. Get this, you cut it out from the witchcraft cover. Recover my finances. I'm not saying go around feeling like, oh, you witch, you're witch. The ones that you think are witches are not. I don't know why people are getting crazy about this. The Born to Be Mild Podcast. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 30 of Born to Be Mild. Today is August 2nd. Yes, I read that right. It is already August. If you're wondering where your summer went, just look indoors because that's probably where you've been. Today I am joined by West Coast correspondent Nick Julia. Thanks for being here, Nick. Hey, Ron. How's it going? Pretty well. Pete has the week off, but we will hopefully be hearing his ultra-white digital smile next week. (laughs) (laughs) I am, of course, referring to his dental coloration and not his melanin pigmentation, but that would be applicable as well. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Um, I've just washed my hands like about 900 times today and, um, you know, using hand sanitizer, staying in my place, uh, doing a lot of that, uh, you know. But That's fantastic. And as we've heard day after day that surface transmission is less probable than we've, uh, be- born, you know, had believed previously, I'm still doing the same exact rituals. Yeah, I'm just trying to stay in in kind of a, a routine, which I think is just going to be helpful going forward for uh, even just the regular flu season. Um, here in L.A., Ron, I'm, I'm just kind of just blown away about how they're handling things. I mean, when we fully closed, we were up and around like, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand cases in the city. Now we're posting 10,000 cases a day and we're not doing the measures that we did back in uh, the spring. And it just... I don't get it, man. I'm not in charge, but I don't get it. Right. Well, I mean, you're hearing people like Deborah Burks talk about how more intensive measures are going to be necessary, not nationwide, but anywhere that they're having a flare-up, which is essentially over 20 states and more localities than that within those states. So you might be looking at lockdown number two coming uh, to a place near you real soon. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be happening. But I mean, I I understand that, you know, people need to make their living because uh, the federal government has decided not to uh, help out um, (laughs) or at least not help out in the way that they probably should. I mean, they're going to do something. But I mean, people look, Ron, I mean, this is this this is the vibe, man. It's it's street. It's it's like we're in uh, Europe here. So like you can do street dining. So like all these 
restaurants and bars. I'm not exactly sure what characterizes a restaurant or mm-hmm. a bar, uh, but like I guess if you have like a, a bag of chips sitting on the bar, you're a restaurant now. But yes. <laughs> but uh, like you go around downtown Los Angeles, there's literally um, little. Like they're right out on the sidewalk, and uh, people are eating uh, and uh, drinking beer. So well, that is very quaint and very European. Um, I would like it. I, I was saying to my girlfriend, I said this would be cool, just not now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any other time, this yeah. amount of like any other time in history out in the streets would really feel nice. Uh, I, actually, I've noticed that over in Pennsylvania, they were doing like small little specials because they were only allowing alcohol sales when you bought food. So they had like 50 cent half peanut butter and jelly specials going so that I love you it. could buy your drinks. Hey, yeah. th- that's what I love about America. We're creative. That's right. We're <laughs> going to get around your fucking rules one way or another. <laughs> All right. Well, this week, the news was filled with fears, both real and imagined including but not limited to increased covid deaths nationwide demon sperm trump possibly getting treatment for a stroke at walter reed trump fallaciously floating he would try and delay the election and what may be the shortest baseball season ever recorded uh it seems like the renaming of confederate statues and the washington football team are just a quaint memory at this point wouldn't you say well i mean i feel like that that's uh still going on but the uh the, the weeks here are just getting so filled with like events <laughs> it feels like a month ago yeah i mean every every sunday i i kind of just think to myself wow i can't believe that was just one week and <laughs> and and i know that it's a lot of staying at home and getting inundated with kind of you know stories that are happening and and you're kind of paying attention to things a little bit more i think that in, in my experience, I think that I'm just kind of tuned into wanting to see when this is all going to end. And, uh, it, you know, it just seems like <clears throat> every time, you know, I think that things are going in the right direction, we have another ember or something like that, or, you know, uh, some other issue kind of pops up. And, and I think, you know, if, if this was different times, uh, we wouldn't be paying attention to it as much, but, uh, here we are. Right, but so getting back to the real and imagined uh, course of events, you have things that actually do matter and then things that seem to be getting injected into the uh, daily news stream for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. So a lot of it has to do with the fact that our president has a Twitter account where if a lot of things are going bad on one side, he can just throw something into the fire to make as much hocus pocus and diversion as possible while not taking care of whatever just happened. So it feels like things are happening at a million miles an hour because he's essentially bringing new stories to light that have no reason to be being addressed right now on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, you're really kind of hitting it home there with the idea of how Trump's kind of reality has become all our own reality. He he constantly, I mean, like, going back to what you're saying about diverting, I mean, the, you know, the idea of him talking about delaying the election came on the, say, uh, roughly about the same time where they announced the GDP. So it's, he knows what he's doing, but he also is injecting stories that are absolutely, you know, like the demon sperm one. I, I mean, the those people were rolled out just to, you know, look, you can have any courtroom, you know, expert pop out and like talk about, 
you know, what, like, get some doctors that will agree with what I'm talking about. Find them. You know, yes. and I, all right. I think so that let's get kinda... to that because I was actually looking at that. I believe it happened on Monday, and uh, I was seeing the news updates almost live coming from Breitbart, and I said to myself, "All right, so here we have a pandemic two essentially rolling out in real time. Let's see what happens." Now, obviously, they got taken down by uh, Twitter and Facebook by Tuesday afternoon, essentially, but not before the president and his son were able to retweet them. And have it liked and shared however many hundreds of thousands of times. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, the fact that he's able to discredit people like Fauci and then bring up this Dr. Emanuel as being a sane and coherent doctor is par for the course. So Yeah, I, I think he said he thought she was great. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and she was great because he was bringing up something that he's been trying to hammer home. Which I think even um, Mr. Redfield and others have said this week have no place in the coronavirus treatment because all of the double-blind studies have proven to be uh, not worthwhile and actually dangerous to the populace. But there again, you have enough um, people injecting it back into the bloodstream of social media and current discourse that you're going to have people reaching for straws and they're going to be desperate because they you know, either don't want their business to be closed down or they don't want their people to get infected by it, even though just maybe a week earlier they said it didn't exist. Uh, we, we'll get to Herman Cain later. <laughs> well, no, and the one thing that I was going to say is it's just kind of damaging to like the credibility of drugs because it's it's not necessarily that anybody said, hey, you know, like, Screw you, Trump. Just because you said use hydrochloroquine, we're all just not going to do it. And, uh, you know, it's bad that you're doing it. It's like people, people want to be well and people want to be saved and they want therapies and they want to be able to survive this. But trying to make it about you and like how we like, uh, censored you and said that this was wrong. It's, it's not about Trump. It's not about Don Jr. It's about spreading information that is inaccurate. And it's like nobody's saying that we're not going to try every possible thing to make this, uh, you know, this cure available, but they just so totally make it about that, themselves. Uh, when people deride what Trump says on the left, it's not personal. It's just about having good science. Uh, somewhat. I mean, I, that, that could be possible. I don't know. No, I think that's the case. That's the point because he takes everything personally and it's like, no, dude, it's not about you. It's just about the fact that you're only doing this for political reasons. Well, we jumped from hydrochloroquine is a, a remedy to you're censoring me. And like that leap is only something Trump and his family can do because normal people just go, oh yeah, well, did you test it? Yeah, we did. Did it work? No. Okay, cool. Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, that's how reality works, right? <laughs> I know, I know. But we're living in his reality TV show that he wants to never end. Yeah. So we're going to hear about this in like another two months. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe he'll say he's on it during the debate or something. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And so you had the, uh, the one, I believe, congressman this week say when he got diagnosed with COVID that he was going to start a hydrochloroquine treatment himself. Yeah, I mean, where, where are these guys getting this information and why are they saying it? I mean, I have no idea, but I can make guesses. No, but at the same time, you have people who are kind of trusted by people on both sides, like Mike DeWine. Now, 
he, you know, started a mask mandate and got rid of it probably within 72 hours a couple of months ago. Next thing you know, Ohio went from being one of the lowest case rates, one of the first people to close the schools or get rid of a lot of unnecessary social interactions to one of the states that was flaring up and joining the southern cohort of um, irresponsible um, people. Uh, so he decided that he was going to reverse a ruling from the Ohio Board of Pharmacies um, that said that hydrochloroquine has no place in being prescribed for COVID-19. Just like five hours later said, all right, we have to, we have to get rid of that because the jury's still out and we have to give people all the options they want. Now, I mean, this would never have happened if his director of health, Amy Acton, was still in charge. Like, if she no. was at the front lines, she'd have bitch slapped him within a second and been like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, aren't, don't you want to save face and have credibility? I have no idea why he bowed down to this pressure, but it was done by professionals that said, look at all the studies, this isn't going to work, and he said, eh, not so fast. I really don't know exactly what, uh, you know, uh, how influences these types of ideas and ideological changes that some of these governors had. But, like, DeWine, I feel like at some point thought that he could control it or that it was controllable. And he had that confidence. And I, I think uh, what Amy Acton, is that her name? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that he gave him... She gave him that strength to do that, but at some point, the pressure of the, I want to say... the business community. Yeah, it's the Trump people and and, and the conspiracy theorists and the Q people, and and, and there may be few of them, they're just so fucking loud and so fucking annoying, and you do things that don't make any sense because you just want them to shut the hell up, and... Well, they are the greasiest wheels, but they also can wield a lot of power and influence, like you're saying. Yeah, and I just think that those types of ideas don't need to be recognized as much. And you shouldn't be... I I know, look, I mean, I saw the pictures uh, that, you know, there was that famous picture of, uh, like, you thought it was zombie apocalypse looking into the statehouse in Ohio. Oh, God. And it's like, I just... Those are the people that are putting... Uh, governors and good politicians in a compromising situation that are just trying to help. And it's so damaging to our country to, to see that happen on a national level with Trump. And, and he doesn't help it. He's not out there trying to say, Hey guys, you know, give the governor a break. I mean, I, I know that recently, you know, like, uh, there was the Vanity Fair article about Jared Kushner, which just fucking pissed me off so much. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you read that. And no, yeah, it, I was just about to get into that actually. Yeah, so like, I mean, but you I mean, can see... we can say that those people at the state house were basically forwarding Trump's agenda, so that he had no qualms with them being there and rabble all the rousing that they could. But if it was going to be some Black Lives Matter protests, well, what do you have to do? Next thing you know, you have to activate William Barr and send in as many federal agents to quash those people as possible. But their AK-47s, their beards, and their uh, Confederate flag bandanas were more than welcome while they were harassing the good people of the health department of the state of Ohio. Yeah, it, but it's just, it's tragic, yeah, so, man. So getting into the, uh, he went to Jared issue and uh, portion <laughs> of the show, 
Uh, this was just completely the most craven thing I had heard all week, and that says a lot. So um, yeah, you never thought it could get any lower. No, I, and I want to get to the quote because uh, the expert who was weighing in from the inside said that the political fo- folks believe that because it was going to be relegated to democratic states, they could blame those governors, and that would be an effective political strategy in terms of a nationwide testing program. Jared decided to scrap it because the only people that were going to die were Democrats. Yeah. Um, Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I I just, I don't know how you defend that or even try to What's he doing there with any power whatsoever? This is the man who is supposed to be supposedly going to bring peace to the Middle East as well, mind you. Yeah, I remember when he was wearing that flak jacket that said Kush. I mean, the guy is... (laughs) I mean, I I, I always kind of try to wonder, like, who am I most worried about in the White House? And and I kind of think about, like, well, there's Stephen Miller, and then there's Donald Trump, and then there's Jared Kushner, and, and I kind of... I'm always like a little bit more worried about Kushner because I feel like he's like a combination of Stephen Miller and Trump. So sure. like if, if Trump and Stephen Miller had a baby, it would be Jared Kushner and then Jared would marry Ivanka still. Right. But also <laughs> with the diabolical baby skin demon type persona. Yeah. That, like, and no one else can seemingly replicate. So the, the, the kind of, the kind of, lack of you know humanity and empathy to believe that dying americans is a good political strategy i mean i don't know what type of person you have to be but you're not a fucking american well you have to own a lot of polo ponies to have that point of view you know what i mean yeah i mean i just i I don't know i mean grow up so privileged that like people are expendable and you can essentially crush them beneath your uh italian shoes because they don't mean anything but like i would definitely say that out of all of them it's got to be mike pompeo who is the most dangerous because i forget who was talking about it this week but he is essentially the intelligent version of donald trump but also someone who has real convictions in a lot of the things that donald trump espouses especially from the evangelical viewpoint so you could look at somebody who has been uh, more learned than almost anybody in the cabinet or government and also believes that the end of the world is going to come as soon as enough Israelis move back to the motherland. So who knows well, what his um, you know, meaning and impetus is for a lot of the decisions he decides to make. Well, Trump, Trump, Trump took a while, but he finally found his guys, Barr and Pompeo. Because, I mean, you remember Rex Tillerson when he left? He had some nice things to say about Trump. <laughs> what do you call him? A fucking moron, I believe. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of a blur now because so many people have left and had such glowing uh, things to say about working with the president. So, uh, yeah, I think it was somewhere around fucking moron or fucking idiot somewhere in there. <laughs> and we saw from the Bolton book that he is not the only person that shares that sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think that Trump is the type of character and I, I'm not saying that he's not like diabolical or like evil or like, uh, you know, has those tendencies of like a, um, like a predator, 
So, like, to be that manipulative, you have to have some level of intelligence. I but- got to give it to um, uh, Charlie Sykes from The Bulwark once again, because he, I believe, coined the phrase reptilian cunning. Yeah. That's exactly what this man has. He understands the base level emotions and the uh, lowest common denominator reactions that he needs to bring out of people. And he hits those buttons over and over again like it's rats looking for a food pellet. But but in, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and when but Trump as a like learned person and like 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 reading and 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 kind of like understanding the history of things and like not making the same mistakes, he really lacks in that area, like big time. And I think that when you have like some of the like evil more evil side of politics like uh, like a w um they still had some kind of sediment or a guy with them that knew the rules and knew the rules of engagement and knew and had a plan and a strategy trump literally has no strategy no plan and he finally found the attorney general and secretary of state that will execute the no plan plan Right, but also they have their eyes on the long view and they understand that it's a symbiotic relationship where this man is able to get things done on the fly that they have been waiting centuries to do. You know, So they're very happy that he's able to galvanize all these yahoos for public sentiment to turn the tide on things that they never thought would ever be possible. And all of a sudden, everything's on the table. No, I mean, like, even... Four years ago, like most of the stuff that's been happening in the last year would be considered largely un-American by any U.S. president. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, we're in 2020, so we'll see what happens on Monday. That's right. The year of hindsight. <laughs> you got that right. Um, so I guess we can move on to uh, Trump falsely uh, saying that he was able to move the date of the election because that was a really good distractionary measure that he injected into the the mainstream discourse this week. Um, let me see. The, the tweet read as much, with universal mail-in voting, not absentee voting, which is good, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. It will be a great embarrassment to the USA. Delay the election until people can properly, securely, and safely vote, question mark, question mark, question mark, even though I don't believe in the coronavirus. Um, Also, was that a question? It's not, but he doesn't know shit about grammar, so who cares, right? As long as it fits into the character margins of Twitter, it's all good. Um, So he can't do this. No, but I read into uh, the Washington Post article that was outlining it, and it said, really great breakdown. A fascist guide to commentary on elections would have eight parts. Contradict yourself to test the faith of your followers. Check. Tell a big lie to draw attention from basic realities. Does it all the time. Yeah. Manufacture a crisis. Here we stand. Yep. Designate enemies. Too easy. (laughs) Yeah. Make an appeal to pride and humiliation. Well, of course, everybody's ready to have their pride and and, uh, patriotism, you know, contested at the drop of a hat. That's how they live their lives. They're waiting for the next affront. Um, Express hostility to voting. 
Now, obviously, we've seen him play it out more and more in the fall, you know, in the previous weeks, but it's only going to get ramped up as the election uh, draws near. Absolutely. Cast doubt on democratic procedures. That is something that he has been able to do in so many ways that it's he's been really doing that sickening. before he was president. Exactly. Yeah. And aim for personal power, a given. So, yeah. I mean, this guy is basically the fascist handbook writ large and personified. Well, if anybody didn't think that that was what we were going to get. I mean, I I definitely thought that I was going to get um, more television Trump, but we got like full bad business. Mussolini cri- Trump. Criminal Trump. Yeah, I mean, there's not, there's not much fun anymore uh, with his stupidity. But in terms of this like election stuff, this could go sideways a couple of different ways. And I think that, I think that there's been situations where governors have postponed or moved elections. Like I think DeWine moved the primary, right? You can move the primary, but you cannot move the presidential election because it is written into the constitution that the transfer of power has to happen on January 21st. Because I, I heard some talk of like, him using some of his governor's quote unquote that he has in his pocket to uh, kind of make it a little bit harder to vote. And so oh, yeah, maybe no, the so things absolutely won't, you can do won't. that. And not only that, but you can also use whoever is in charge of the local state houses to stop recounts. And if right. you combine that with making it tougher to vote on election day, then you can possibly make it to, to be benefiting your favor. Well, one of the things that I thought that might happen, and I, I, you know, I hate to say this, and I'm not trying to like um, accuse anybody or trying to insinuate like any of this will happen, but after seeing what happened in Michigan with the guns, and uh, you know, coming to the state house and asking for the governor's, you know, to re- resign or be recalled or whatever, whatever they were doing, I don't even really remember. Um, <clears throat> I think they just but wanted chips. There was like Who's chips, to say that the chips? Chip, no, that I think that's what I heard. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I remember watching the video. It was something like that. Yeah. Uh, little, uh, what was that? PCU. Uh, PCU reference, yeah. <laughs> Meat Tosser. Um, great movie. <laughs> yeah, so good. When, um, Piven, when Piven was grand. Oh, my God. It was the best years for him. Uh-huh. Um, no, but I'm saying those types of organizations and those types of people are going to be out on the lookout for people voting. I mean, I'm I'm just speculating here. I mean, if they were that upset about, you know, trying to save each other from a global pandemic that it was coming to you, their city. I mean, the idea of you going and voting for somebody else other than Trump. I mean, who's to say they're not going to be standing out of the fuck polling place with AK-47s or AR-15s waiting, saying, like, you're not going in there, are you? And, I mean, like, where's the cops going to be? You know, it's okay, just... Okay, all right. So, I'm just speculating because, like, these guys... This this situation is so untenable at this point. I'm just... I'm, I'm saying anything could happen. There's a lot to unpack there, and there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. However, um, to a couple points. Um, first of all, it's been very odd to see, especially when you had the death of a protester i believe in austin just this last week yeah i heard about that right who is the fiance to a um quadruple amputee woman so this man obviously 
I'm not saying obviously for a reason, but he, he has a good heart. This is someone who doesn't cut and run. This is a man who has principles and beliefs and apparently was out there protesting for like 53 straight days with no problems whatsoever. And from the, uh, the accounts of the situation, you had somebody who tried to run through the protest with their car and this man approached the car and the man in, in the car was armed and shot him multiple times, then drove away, and then turned himself into police, saying that this other man who, who got shot brandished his weapon at him, which I personally believe is total bullshit, and hopefully we will find that to be the case with any kind of footage or eyewitness accounts that come afterwards. But what I was getting at is that you are now seeing all black militias take to the streets, who, just like all these white folks, are equally within their rights to carry as far as the second amendment says so you're having a lot of white people say wait a second i thought we were the only people who are allowed to spread fear tactic tactics around and impose our will just by brute force turns out no the other side is able to do that too i don't like where that's heading at all and the kind of stuff that you're talking about where there's all these different points of conflagration possible uh there's only going to be more so when you get towards election and and voting and polling places but what i'm more worried about is the fact that the affront on people's liberties and voter suppression is going to happen by people in a suit and tie not by a duck dynasty shirt and an ak-47 it's going to be people who are shutting down the amount of polling places that are available in any local municipality, normally in metro areas where it's a higher democratic. Uh, propensity of democratic and um, minority voters. And so you have that coupled with all the, um, I, I think we talked about this earlier on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, how the Republican Party has mobilized this army of lawyers who are going to be in the polling places, then they're going to be basically challenging people's voter registrations. Now, whether or not their signatures match or whether or not their voter ID matches the exact name that's on the rolls. So there's going to be all these ways they're going to try to gum up the works to make the lines even longer and to have how many votes and ballots thrown out, however many possible. So you're going to have that go on. And then you're going to be able to have the people put their foot on the levers when it comes to a recount afterwards. So I see that as being a multifaceted front that um, is, is only working in bad faith in one way. You don't see the Democrats looking to disenfranchise Republican voters. They could care less. They're just trying to get the right of the people to vote out. Well, it's just incredible to 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 know that we live in a society where this type of mechanism is legal. I, I, I don't quite understand how the gerrymandering and, and, and kind of the ability to close polling stations that are strategic. Um, I mean, there really needs to be a referendum on kind of how these elections are held. And I, I think that it's been a problem for a long time. I mean, look. Uh, I mean, we're actually doing pretty well uh, in terms of like 
progression in, in, in how voting rights are enacted. Because if you think about like the history of the United States, I mean, it was basically white men electing other white men for like the first 250 years. I mean, there was no black, black people and women weren't allowed to vote, you know? So it's kind of a situation that has actually gotten better, but you can see there's rumblings of like the old way and people trying to figure out ways to, to keep it that way, uh, I guess is my point. Yeah, well, I mean, like, just watch Selma, and you're able to see why Voting Rights Act was so important. Because down in the South, essentially, if you went down to your local voter registration place, they were able, they were able to ask you, all right, how many judges, uh, state judges, are in the state of Alabama? Okay, do you know the answer to that? All right, well, what are their names? And that was literally something they were able to disqualify you from getting to vote on the basis of. So it was so targeted, so um, in the minutia, and so arbitrary that it had no other way to be explained except for being racist in the motivation. This kind of sounds like how they treat the Uyghur people. Yeah, that has been wild. I mean, did you see that BBC interview with the Chinese ambassador? Oh, dude, I mean, I don't even know. Like, what did he do? Start complimenting the region and ask the interviewers if he'd been there? Yeah, (laughs) he said, now, when you talk about Xinjiang, all they talk about is how beautiful it is. It's like, what? (laughs) It's like, I forgot that I accidentally put acid in my uh, cereal this morning. (laughs) Yeah, he says, uh, so if you look at the population, it's grown by, like, it's doubled in the past 40 years. And he's like, yeah, but according to your registrations, the population of Uyghur people has decreased by 85% in the past, like, two years. What do you have to say about that? I wish that they would have put some guy on there and he just, like, as soon as he asked him to look at the video, he just, like, claimed to be blind. That's (laughs) what he said. That's what he said. (laughs) So he says, all right, uh, I see people with shaven heads, shackled, being led onto trains. Can you tell me what's going on in that video? And then the ambassador says, uh, I cannot see this view. I, I cannot see this. I, I was like, oh, my God. This is I mean, this has gone off to a bad start. Yeah, that's, that situation has been going on, I mean, for decades now. I mean, they have been working on that in China. Yeah, and- but in terms of, like, coming to light in a global sense, it's only been within the last few years. And so you had apparently leaked phone conversations with Trump and she right. who uh, Trump said yeah by all means keep the concentration camps going yeah you thought they were great unreal I don't know unreal. if he actually thought they were great that's just how Trump talks that means go ahead and do it he only has quite a, he only has a few words to draw upon yeah but the it's point either great or very sad he just wanted to find a uh, a point of 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 um, simpatico with the dear leader over there because there were so many things that they were a part on. So he just wanted to make friendly on a couple points. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, a side note um, on the whole China thing. Uh, I was like on, I, I go on this website, Imager. Uh, it's like the image hosting thing for Reddit. Um, Not and Imager. I, saw, I don't know how you pronounce it. I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say I have a lot of points. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I saw this post. Um, so I worked with a guy uh, 
I thought, you know, it was like years ago for a website. And uh, this guy, it was somebody shared this post from Twitter. It was a screenshot from Twitter. We get a lot of that on Imager. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was a guy. He said, uh, I woke up to find out that I was a fugitive of China and uh, I'm wanted by the Chinese government and I'm an American and have lived in the United States for 25 years. He's 42 years old. But I worked with him in 20... Well, I was looking at the post and I'm like, that can't be the same guy. (laughs) And sure enough, I looked in my email and I looked it up and it's like, yeah, that was the same guy. I helped him build a website like in 2014. Absolutely, it's the same guy. And they're just waiting for anybody to come back to visit family so that they can imprison them. That's crazy, man. I I just never in my life thought that there would be a situation where China just goes, here's a list of people that are in other countries. Um, We're watching you. I don't even know. Damn right we're watching you and we're sending you seeds. Yeah, (laughs) seeds. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, but um, so I don't know if you saw, but like the list of reasons to be under suspicion by the Chinese government is so ridiculous that you can't do anything without getting on the rolls. So it's anything from, have you stopped smoking all of a sudden to, did you start visiting your neighbor more often? Anything. And now, especially if you are part of the Muslim majority or minority there, um, you're going to find yourself under the watchful eye of the camera that is both at your front and back door, because that is one of the telltale signs as well. I think I heard that if you started using your front door more than your back door all of a sudden, now you're supposedly plotting against the government. Yeah, I mean, when you're traveling in, in kind of that type of world, I mean, it it only says to me that, like, the clock is ticking on China. Like, either they're going to have a full-on revolt or they're going to go full-on, like, world power, like, start, start invading, you know? I mean, I that type of attitude, I mean, only goes really... A couple different directions so i mean that's definitely something to watch for sure it is and also considering the fact that so many you know financial entanglements exist between china and the developing world or the developed world that they're going to have to really make some tough choices in the upcoming years on whether or not they want to continue those relationships yeah i mean you can thank uh, nixon for opening up that door and here we are. <laughs> and you can thank Daryl Morey <laughs> for blowing the lid off of that shit. <laughs> I mean, what because a mess. <laughs> who knew that this international is- incident was going to reach uh, DEFCON whatever the fuck just because uh, he started talking about the NBA in China. Yeah. Well, and, I mean. Uh, and, and personal rights in Hong Kong. That that's, that's a big issue. I mean, you know, it, it's just kind of weird when, uh, you know, and obviously like. Everything that the NBA does for uh, African-Americans um, and the Black Lives Matter movement, fully supported. It's great. But, I mean, there's a big, like, question, you know, like, there's a big, like, China situation that's just kind of looming over all of that. And it's like, well, I guess, you know, like, it's you got to support stuff that, you know, uh, that you're allowed to or like that, you know, the, that the sport can support. Uh, I mean, they're just... It's just not going to happen. You know, like they're not going to speak out about it. And yeah, because it's apparently bad, like man. It's bad. North of uh, 30 or 40 percent of their revenue. Yeah. Who knew that? I mean, like, I didn't even know that, that they were sending that much uh, NBA over there. 
Well, it's the Yao Ming effect. Like the right, right. The sport became internationalized, you know, through the Dream Team in the '90s, and it grew in European countries. It grew in Australia. It grew all over the world, and in the East, and in the Middle East, and and everywhere. But like Yao Ming brought prominence to the NBA in the Chinese mainland like never before, and it's continued to be that way ever since. Just because a numbers game alone and the burgeoning middle class and people have a lot more bourgeoisie lifestyles that they need to fill their time with. So the NBA has been that go-to for a lot of people. And, yeah. I, um, I think that, you know, you can look at it as like, you know, to some level, our our kind of brand of sports uh, is a, you know, a kind of a part of American culture. And, you know, like... I think other cultures have kind of snapped that right up because, you know, like once you have like, uh, look, there's a lot you can do in terms of money making and uh, and kind of selling of products uh, if you have like a solid kind of uh, consumer class. Yeah, consumer class, but also just a like an entity kind of like sports media. You know, like I think that you know before ESPN, I mean, you know was really a kind of a dark time. It was very murky, kind of like radio, AM radio. Uh, but that Looking whole, at the box scores in a newspaper. Yeah, the engine that fuels sports now. I mean, it's a 24-hour news cycle. Um, you know, there's multiple stations you can watch it on. You have, like, NBA packages. You know, like, it's just a whole constellation of things now. It is. And so all that money means that you have guaranteed contracts that are being paid out to the players or at least larger and larger contracts. And um, that means you what shut I've your mouth lately <laughs> is that if you look, I, I think it was on Bomani this week, there have been several um, owners of the NBA franchises that have lost billions of dollars over the last year and through the pandemic. And they have liquidated a lot of their holdings in whatever companies they have owned besides the, the teams Mm -hmm. um, just to stay afloat. So a lot of these owners are looking at being broke. And uh, that means that all this like new TV money that was supposedly uh, coming in next year and the salary cap was supposed to go up like astronomically this next year, uh, you're not going to see a lot of those contracts come to fruition because they just won't have the money to pay them. You mean the federal government's not going to help them out? <laughs> now, actually, they might, because that would be way better than giving people an extra $600 a week. Right, of course. Yeah, that's where that money needs to go. Because, you know, look, I mean, I'm just, I'm of the mind of, look, we, we can put things on hold. I mean, like, I know that the, the world turns still, but we can all chalk up 2020 to a lot of different things. And, like, just you talking about, like, lost revenue. It's like, look, I mean... Obviously, we all know why, you know, because things didn't happen, you know, the way they were supposed to. So it's I don't know exactly how, you know, I'm not like a financial expert or anything like that. But I'm just saying that there's a way to make this kind of work. But I don't think that the federal government is interested in making it work. I think they're interested in making sure that rich people stay rich, you know, and uh, that's what we've seen with the PPP grift. And yeah. um, we're not really seeing it. Uh, these senators come out on the Republican side ready to give people the extra stimulus package, the second stimulus package. Now, if you didn't qualify for unemployment benefits, are you mean to tell me that $1,200 every four months is going to get you by? 
Absolutely not. I mean that that was laughable. The 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 way I see uh, like from what I've been reading the there was a really interesting article talking about like the Republicans' plan in the L.A. Times today. Uh, basically, they're saying they're they're pulling that same bullshit where the they're making it like almost impossible to sue your employer if you get sick. Um, right. And then yeah, the so employers there's tons of protections. Yeah, and then the employer um, is able to sue the employee for making fraudulent cl- claims against them, and and uh, they made it like almost like it was a situation that basically said, "Hey, you not only we're we not going to give you more money and make you go back to work, but we're going to make it almost impossible for you to have any uh, power you know, against your employee to protect yourself." Yeah, and it's it's crazy to think that. Anybody would believe that this plan is in is focused on the worker and uh, exactly you know, it is all pro business and it has nothing to do with the individual. And look, I mean that's kind of how other countries have been doing it. I mean they, you know, I know that uh, Germany's having a rough time right now. But mm-hmm. my my thing is is that we know like loosely from our taxes how much people get paid and. You, you, you kind of just got to pay people what they were normally making and you do it for a couple of months. We close up shop. We make it, we get this under control. We give it by enough time to come up with a plan and we open up. But unfortunately we have uh, Jared Kushner in charge of that. So we have a lot of roadblocks in, in the way of that yeah. mainly the turtle man, Mitch McConnell. So like oh, we're looking at $600 being overpaying. I think they wanted to find it to be 65% of the populace. So that means that that many people aren't even making that much. Now that's a problem in and of itself, but the fact yeah. that you're not trying to throw them a bone for however long this horrendous period of time Right, goes it's temporary. On for, Nobody's saying this is permanent. No, it's not. And I understand yeah. the fact that you don't want to disincentivize work. But you don't want to incentivize people to have to go back to dangerous places where they have no protections. Well, we didn't come up with a plan. So I know that when Fauci was getting in, uh, you know, it was in front of the house. They were talking about how we have a plan. And like that one uh, congressman was holding up all that stacks of papers. It was just kind of comical because like if you're looking at the situation in terms of like, all the different things that Fauci did or like all the plans that the governors did. And you're just like saying that Trump gets credit for all of that. That's ridiculous. I mean, he, there was one of the senators was trying to give Trump credit for hiring Fauci. Right. Like, no, I don't absolutely. even understand that. They, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I swear to God, if I was able to ensure that I could take his ass down, I would smear Jim Jordan's cauliflower ear into the mat oh so God. hard. He is such a disgrace to the state of Ohio and such a Republican nincompoop, uh, uh, just a religious He should feel asshole. lucky. That, he should feel incredibly lucky to get to ask uh, Anthony Fauci questions. Absolutely. He's not <laughs> I mean, even worth the shirt sleeves that he doesn't even have. No, and I think that they showed that video at the beginning also or something. Oh, maybe that was a different one. Maybe that was the bar. That was the bar one. Where they showed the video of, like, all the peaceful protests. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. I mean, I, I'm getting off topic here, but, yeah. I mean, those those hearings are so, like, off the chain these days. They I think really Fauci are. even I think Fauci even said, like, he was, like, thinking about, like, considering, like, the path he had, his career path. Because he didn't think he'd be at this moment where he was getting asked all these stupid questions. 
over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was like questioning his, you know, existence, which Terrible. I get it. Absolutely yeah. horrendous. Um, all right, so let's get to Sleepy Joe because if there's one thing that we all want, it's somebody. Uh, it's a it's a president that doesn't tweet hundred times a week or a day. And right. so uh, we would definitely be well served to have uh, someone who takes a back seat to possibly the incompetence of the legislature so that we could see their full uh, ineptitude on display and not just at the executive level. Yeah, um, I think that, um, you know, he's, I think, supposed to pick uh, his VP pretty soon. Yeah, right? it's going to be this week. And um, I was going to say, we saw that Miss Bass is out as a VP pick because she had a pro Scientology video that came out this week. Yeah. I was confused about that. I don't know. Is she Scientologist? Uh, no, she was just saying <laughs> that, uh, Hey, they've done a lot of great work. And it's like, yeah, but, um, I, I mean, not, uh, Jess just seems ill-informed, like, ill-informed kind of like, uh, you know, keynote speaker crap where you're just like, yeah, like they did a great job. And it's like, Nobody like <laughs> nobody in her staff was like, this is a bad idea. The KKK yeah. has done a great job in rallying communities together. It's like, okay, yeah, but which ones and for what reason? We, we need somebody to flag this next time. <laughs> Honestly, like, how are you even on the short list? But so, like, Miss um, Susan Rice, she's got to be out just because of her Benghazi. I struggles. like her, but, I mean, yeah, the Benghazi thing is going to be tough with a guy she's like She's fantastic. Trump. She is yeah. more than capable. However, she has never been elected to anything. She's only right, been appointed. So uh, that therein is a bit of a trouble. Um, Harris, still the front runner. I like um, her. I like her, too. She uh, laughs at some inappropriate times. I'm sure she will find some discipline once she gets on the campaign but, trail but she's a lawyer and I, I just think that like not only that but a state's uh what are you district senator or, or yeah she's a senator but also a head prosecutor for the state of uh california so she understands what it means to be in the dog fights and um i mean honestly i'd love to see her debate pence yeah, I, I was going to say, she'll bring, she'll bring a lot of tenacity to the stage and to the screen. I don't think he's going to be able to compute that in any way. No, that's where you're going to have to bring in Nikki Haley as a vice presidential candidate. Yeah, because um, he's he's the type of guy that, like, I, you know, like, I I mean, I, this is kicking a dead he's horse. He's a company but, you know, man. And calls, uh, you know, like, he's not allowed to be in a room alone with another with woman. With another without woman. His wife. And he calls his wife mother. So um, the, the whole idea that he's kind of lived this sheltered existence. I mean, when you deal with somebody like Kamala Harris, who's been like very kind of like in a, in like fighting uh, for her she life. She will kind rip of. you a new asshole. Yeah. Like, I mean, like when you just look at Obama being, you know, like a lawyer as well, you know, like the kind of his, his uh, like trajectory as a politician, I just see Kamala just getting better. That's what I see. I mean, she's just going to get better if you elect her, and she's just going to do a fantastic job. And, and oh, she'll... I do too. And if you look at maybe like Captain Planet episode from 1990s, this like semi-attractive black uh, woman with nice hair or whatever was like the prototypical president of the United States that we thought we were going to have by now. <laughs> right. Totally. Like she checks all the boxes in terms of appearance and in terms of presentation and um well she does back it up with a lot of substance but we have to wonder 
if she believes what she says a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I mean, and I think that she definitely, uh, out of all of them, I, I mean, I really do think that, um, oh, gosh, uh, Elizabeth Warren, I mean, I like Elizabeth Warren just in terms of the fact that she knows, like, she's got the health care plan. And I she's mean, got like, plans for everything. Yeah, and I just think that, like, Biden, you know, I think that he has the kind of Democratic Party line plans, and I don't think people are super jazzed about that. Um, right. I think so, that, I mean, like, I just read that um, it was all about the enthusiasm that each one of the candidates brings and their supporters bring to the election. Trump's base is way more jazzed about voting for him than Biden's base are, you know, jazzed about voting for him. Mainly because Biden never had a base. It was going to be whoever is running against Trump was going to have the support of all the people. Um, so you Settle for that. Biden. <laughs> yeah, it's like anybody but Trump. And I right. guess it's going to be empty sock Joe. So you have <laughs> you have the, the, the Warren debate, which is she is essentially the most qualified to be vice president. Um, however, she is the wrong color for the moment in my and many other people's also i mean like you know there's the consideration that she'd be better uh do better service as a senator you know what i mean like uh do you want to lose a senate seat right i mean with kamala harris and with elizabeth warren we're losing a seat and uh we can't afford that right now well i don't know because it depends on how um, well we don't you want to win back the senate I was going to say it depends on how excited the electorate is to go to the polls um, on a state-by-state -state basis because it's looking like the Senate might be easily in hand with um, states anywhere from Arizona to Maine to Texas uh, being in play, I believe, in terms of Senate seats. So I think that the Senate would be a given if Joe Biden is able to win the presidency is because he turned out the vote in all the states that are right. requisite for the job. Um, but, uh, you know, like... I, I mean, I like them all. I, I think that, you know, like any of these picks I'm happy with. Um, I, I I just think that, you know, uh, in my mind, I, I like Kamala the best. But, uh, you know, I think that I could go both ways on Elizabeth Warren. But, like, uh, I'd be happy with any of them. Yeah, so Elizabeth Warren is a double-edged sword because not only does she espouse a lot of the Bernie uh, values and she essentially co-opted them herself for her primary bid, uh, which means that you would have the far left on your side if that was the vote, but how many a good black people would you disenfranchise because you didn't pick Kamala Harris or somebody of color? And so that's part of the left as well. But then you have to wonder, now wait a second, isn't the black quote-unquote black block of voters already baked into the biden candidacy it's like yes but how many of them will be activated or inactivated depending on who you pick as a vice president so there's all these different things that that go into who's going to show up on election day well i'm hoping that you know like uh look i'm not necessarily too um uh, confident in the numbers that i see from the democrats just because of the way 26 2016 went and like right, the numbers were all screwed up repeat of that so i mean i don't know exactly who's working on these numbers and the projections for for biden um i'm hoping Even the great that, nate silver was dead ass wrong 
Right, right. So, I mean, I hope that we've got some smarter people. We've learned some lessons and we're getting good information uh, about what people are really feeling. Um, and I think it'll be fine. Um, but, you know, I still am uh, just worried about 2016 and how that went. So I, I hope that we're doing a better job with that this, these days. Likewise, likewise. All right. So can you fill me in on what's going on with the TikTok? Well... I'm not 100% sure, um, but I do know that I've, I've heard some, like, weird shit about, like, what they actually do with some of the data. Okay. Like, I think that they are, and I may have said this before, but I, I don't remember what exactly Now, we went into it a little bit, but I wanted to find out, like, what was really the sticking points as to why the Trump administration wanted uh, ByteDance to completely divest their U.S. holdings sell them off so that it would become a uh, local entity. I think that there may have been data saying that they were using TikTok as a like barrier of entry into China. So hmm. they, I think, were incredibly worried that if you said anything bad about China or like good about Hong Kong on your TikTok... They have your face, and when you land in China, they're just going to scoop you up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so I think that that really freaked uh, everybody out, that this is what was going on. And uh, so, like, yeah, I mean, it's like literally putting up, like, a crazy wall around China, a virtual wall that they can just, like... They got all the facial recognition software that's floating around in the cities of uh, China, and they're basically just, you know... They have a database of everybody on TikTok, and they're able to just pick you up and find you. That's pretty great. I mean, just think if, like, Facebook Live was able to do the same thing and the Trump administration was able to harvest all that facial recognition data so that you were or were not able to get a vaccine depending on your leanings towards the president. I mean, <laughs> maybe he was like, hey, I want that. That's what I mean. He's fucking jealous. <laughs> He's not considering like the the political or like the uh, you know uh, what is it constitutional reasons. Uh, oh why no, this would absolutely be a bad not. Idea. He's like, hey, babyface Kush, why the fuck didn't you bring that to my desk? Why didn't you tell me that Chi this is TikTok was doing this? <laughs> I just watched it because I like the dance videos. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to fucking floss with the IV in his hand. I mean, yeah. So TikTok is. Uh, it's only one of the you know apps that out there that are questionable. And I mean, you know, as long as China's putting out these types of like applications, like they're always going to be suspect. But yeah, TikTok was just you know off the chain. Is like and look for what it's worth. I mean, they you know we do similar things, but uh, you know there are still kind of rules that Facebook and Twitter and and Google and all the big ones have to follow. Um, whether or not like they're following that to a T, TikTok just wasn't wasn't doing any of that. Yeah, so I mean, we're not even going to get into the uh, big tech CEOs making an appearance before Congress this week because, I mean, I hope that people follow that, but if not, it's uh, fucking, you know, totally yeah. trivial because they were essentially just justifying their existence and the reason for their monopolies. It, look, all those tech uh, like hearings with the the state. I mean, it's 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 kind of hard to watch because you just got a bunch of like tech giant guys that are in like power meetings all day, and they're like, 
you know, talking to these congressmen and senators that just don't have a fucking clue. Like, how what's can going. I even be bothered? But at the same time, the questions this time around, I, now I guess. Yeah, they were a little bit more about. They were more yeah. pointed, they were more technical, and they seemed a little bit more informed. But at the same time, you had people like Bezos coming up and bringing the uh, woe is me, here's how I grew up type uh, sob story so that you would feel a little more empathetical to his diabolical rule. Also, he was talking kind of poorly about social media and uh, its place in society, which, you know, like, I don't disagree with. But, I mean, look, Bezos, you're not going to fucking take, uh, you know, down a social media because, like, I, I just don't see, like, nobody's re- – look, social media and, like, social media platforms, like, I think that the Republicans and a lot of these people that try to say, we're off Twitter. Come and get on whatever, and and it's like it's not that easy. Like you have to like literally have a service that does something that people are interested in. Like that's why TikTok was so popular. Is because they basically hijacked an, an application and just rebranded it. It was one called Musically, where yep. you just sang and danced. Uh, and I remember to a, my to a, niece had it song. before she had TikTok. You know. Right, and that's why people and entities like Facebook are so dangerous because what they do is they just snap up Instagram. Their competitors, and next thing you know, it's all under the same umbrella. Yeah, and that's Um, that's exactly what. Look, I, Bones, Ron, I remember when uh, when uh, Zuckerberg was going talking about buying Instagram, and I think he was going to buy it for like seven billion or something mm -hmm. like that, and I remember. I can't remember if it was, where I read it, but they were talking about he had enough money at that particular juncture that he could have bought the New York Times or Instagram, and he bought Instagram instead. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we were at that time. <laughs> yeah, smart move, because essentially... Oh, yeah, definitely way up, smarter move. You're not going to pick up any new subscribers for the New York Times. No, no. I mean, I think it was in the same lens as like, you know, Bezos bought Washington Post. You know, it was like a cheap buy and you can control a paper, you know. But that was a pet project. But yeah, you essentially can have them up there blaming each other and each other's business models for being a detriment to society. But it is would be a a circular firing squad at best where there are no clear cut winners or losers at the end of it. Everyone just stays the same. Yeah, um, it's, it's the continuing, prog- uh, you know, eroding media, uh, you know, just, just you know, it's it's tough these days trying to find, like, good sources for information. Exactly, as local newspapers and sources just uh, go by the wayside by the day. But in terms of the TikTok, it's like, uh, there's another one out that it has the AI face swapping feature available to people. Um, yeah, anything like that is bad. Right. So, <laughs> so we've seen that, but the point is, is that like this type of new technology is so um, attractive to consumers that they really want a part of it, and things become a fad very quickly. And uh, nobody's reading the fine print, and nobody gets to find out what people are actually doing with the data until it's too late. So you're just going to have this more and more, it seems. Yeah, I think that the apps. Uh, where where we're going with this type of stuff, I think that we'll be able to see more utility with it. Hopefully, it, it's not necessarily, you know, like that's the, the the interesting thing about social media. You know, you have this situation where like you've generated a, a like an ecosystem where like 
you're looking to validate your own uh, identity and your own views and how that manifests has come in very, very different ways. And it just seems like I think that people are going to start to become fed up kind of with all the, the, these types of things, but like, you're never going to have a situation where like younger people are not interested quite yet at um, railing each other on Facebook, you know, like and in getting into some kind of Twitter war, but they're more than happy with sharing, you know, their face as a dog. So an I think easy that, mark again and again, and there will be a yeah. new crop of them every year who's willing to buy into it. And so, you only need their information once. Right. And I think that what we're seeing is the, like, I'll say it again, like erosion of the education system. So like, I think that, you know, almost we could have a situation where English class has got to be taught differently. Like when you read stuff, like we have prose, you have like fact fiction, you have, uh, um, poetry yeah all these different types of writing we need to start throwing like you know this is what an advertisement is this is like you know like this is what like i don't know like social sure. media etiquette modern is like. day discernment yeah because i think people don't really they just go to the lowest common denominator with these types of things and they all ultimately like get tricked or get fall into some kind of like pit of um, something that they didn't really intend to get into. So I think that educating people about what what they're doing uh, in a scholastic environment rather than just learning it on the fly on the street may be a better way to go about it. I think that's probably a good idea now. But education's so shit now, I don't even think... I don't Not know what's possible. Not only that, but it would probably take... Uh... <laughs> 10 years plus to get it into the curriculum by that point whatever we're talking about now will be so antiquated that it won't even matter yeah um all right so let's finish up the podcast this week with uh what you've been getting into in your spare time anything that you've been consuming that might be worthwhile to pass on to the listeners uh i mean i've been been monitoring bitcoin lately it just shot over ten thousand (laughs) dollars Dude, that's a huge, like, Bitcoin has hovered at 10 a couple times uh, over the last two years or so. But, like, it broke and it went to 12, which was, hasn't happened since the last time it went to 20. So, um, buy Bitcoin. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I mean, I just... Are there any other cryptocurrencies that are making their money? I like Doge. I got quite a bit of Doge. Um... I mean, I'm not really, I don't really have a position on the altcoins anymore because they screwed me so hard. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that, but oh, I've been blocked. spot, yeah. Oh, I mean, I may have said this before, but uh, yeah, Apollo Ono really screwed me. Oh, <laughs> man. It was, it was one of his uh, altcoins called Hybrid Block, and he was like the head of the board. That's hilarious. And, uh, you fell yeah, for I think the haircut. He completely dissolved the company. I don't even think it exists anymore. No, but there is a record of everyone who bought into that shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. Anyway. Well, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, uh, you know, everything is, uh, you know, it's been, it's, you know, it's been a rerun kind of life these days. I mean, I've watched, I think, every episode of uh, uh, Mr. Show again. I've watched every okay. episode of uh, Portlandia again. I'm nice. working on watching uh, all 1,403 episodes of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Oh, very <laughs> nice. You know, I've been watching a lot of the uh, architectural tours around the world type shows on the network. Oh, that sounds good. 
and um, this one guy goes to the world's greatest houses, and they really are. Like, some of these shows say that they're the best, but these ones, this guy goes to Australia a couple times, and England, and New York, and they will blow your mind. Like, like secret James Bond-style car lifts that go underneath the ground and underneath the neighbor's house in Santa Monica just so you can get to the main house. Um, I'll have to get a, a name for it for you so you can check yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to check that out. I uh, mean, There's a lot of cool stuff going on. Yeah, that sounds fun. Um, just so you can live that fantasy lifestyle from the couch, you know? I, you know, I, well, I mean, I love architecture. I mean, I was just looking at, you know, I was thinking about getting a, a new light and I was looking up some of the old stuff that I used to look at all the time. Uh, do you know Droog, that design oh, yeah. house? Like yeah. Eindhoven people? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing all right, but like, I mean, some of the stuff that used to be so incredible, I mean, but they like, you know, it's semi affordable, but it's really cool shit, you know? So yeah, trying to get back I mean, into that type of stuff. It's nice to have those uh, signature pieces just sitting around the house that bring a little bit of joy to you every time you look at them. I mean, having a little whimsy in your apartment never hurt anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I have it. It's called a fucking one-year-old. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I bet. She brings the whimsy from room to room. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, that makes it a little easier, I guess. <laughs> it's fantastic. But who knew there would be that much uh, doo-doo on a signature piece? Oh, my God. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap it up for this week, dude. It was fantastic having you once again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's really great to talk. And thanks for having me on, man. No problem. All right, guys. And uh, thanks again for everybody for listening. Um, obviously, check us out on the iTunes, write, review, five stars, six stars, whatever's available right now. I know we bring you the goods. But um, thanks again to Ryan Little for our little intro theme music. It's a banger, and I listen to it just on its own in my spare time quite often. So check him out on the SoundCloud as well. And uh, we will see you guys, if not within seven days, maybe even sooner, because the news just keeps coming at such a frenetic pace. We're going to keep on top of it for you and let you know what we think about it ASAP. We'll take it easy. 